I guess you could safely say that I never met a medium I didn't like. Um, and I never met a medium that I wouldn't want to try if I thought that it had uh, the ability to elicit a response with a return on investment. So that's what makes us, that's what makes, you know, direct marketing so wonderful. The Doberman Dan Show. The Doberman Dan Show. For renegade entrepreneurs. Get ready for the uncensored, nothing held back, no BS reality of how business and life really work. Leave the sheeple to their lives of quiet desperation and get ready to experience an, an exhilarating, exhilarating life of, of unbridled, unbridled freedom. freedom. Now prepare yourself because Doberman Dan's off the leash. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Doberman Dan Show for Renegade Entrepreneurs. It is just getting better and better, folks. I'm excited about my guest today. I'm speaking with Brian Kurtz, the executive vice president of Boardroom, but uh, I like to call him a serial direct marketer, and he was the founder of Boardroom, Marty Edelston's partner. So uh, welcome to the show, Brian. Oh, thanks, Dan. Make sure people understand that I, Marty was the founder, and I was his. I was the guy that he he decided to make a partner, and and yes, I'm I'm, I'm blessed to have be Marty Edelston's partner. <laughs> well, for those who don't know about Bottom Line Books or Boardroom Health and and all the other things that you're into, you're Boardroom is the for us usins, as Dan Kennedy says, mm-hmm. we direct marketers. Boardroom is one of these what I call the eight hundred pound gorillas. Um, would you mind filling people in on everything that Boardroom does, and 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 then I want to hear all about how you got started with Boardroom. Yeah, so I'll do it quickly though. You know, Marty Marty started the company um, because he wanted to do a magazine. Uh, business. He was a voracious reader of business books. He wanted to do a newsletter. A book, he wanted to do a magazine that would tell business people how to really run their business because he didn't think Business Week, Fortune, Forbes, and the Wall Street Journal did did the job basically. And this is back in 1972. Um, and what Mar- and he was a voracious reader of business books, and he always believed that there was like one great idea or two great ideas in every business book. So he wanted to be. I mean, he. He was like Reader's Digest when Reader's Digest didn't know what they were. I mean, Mar- Marty was invented hypertext before the internet, I guess is, what, is a good way to put it. <laughs> and so the business started like that. And the reason why it was a newsletter and not a, and not a magazine is that he couldn't get enough money to start a magazine. It was still expensive back then. So he did a newsletter without advertising, which was also ironic because he was a great advertising space salesperson for various consumer magazines earlier in his career. So the best advertising space salesman of all time starts a newsletter with no advertising. <laughs> and so Boardroom Reports was the first entree to that. In fact, the great Gene Schwartz, one of the greatest copywriters of all time and a really close friend, mentor of mine and a friend of Marty's, wrote the first promotion for Boardroom Reports, believe it or not. And so Marty started the company in 1972. By 1981, he had done a bunch of business books and things like that. And then he realized that, you know, I want to do not just the business side of the executive, but I think the personal side of the executive, investing, health, um, all the issues that, that executives deal with. And that's how Bottom Line Personal was born. And that was around 1981. And it was around, actually, right about when I got to the company. Bottom Line was, was very, very young when I was 
very, very young at my first <laughs> entry into the company. Um, and then bottom line personal over the years eclipsed boardroom reports like the, you know, it's that old story, the Wayne Gretzky line, you know, you don't go where the puck is, you go where it's going. Uh-huh. And so, you know, we knew that the consumer market was going to be a much more lucrative market. And so that was bottom line personal and boardroom reports eventually fell by the wayside years later. Um, and bottom line personal became the flagship publication. And then we realized the health marketplace was just such a powerful place to be. And so we started developing all these health books. So we went from like business to general consumer to now really subgrouping into the health area. And we didn't give up any, we didn't give up any of those areas completely. And we still had areas like tax planning. We had areas like estate planning. We had investment and money secrets. But health then became, through the 90s and 2000s, became kind of 80% of our editorial. It became the place where we saw the biggest uh, uh, potential for growth. It's how we got into the, uh, the infomercial business in a big way in, in the mid-2000s. So that's sort of the, the trajectory. And then all along, we not only were doing newsletters, but we were also doing books. And everything we did was basically direct mail. Uh, for most of our early history. Um, we really became students of direct mail. We worked with all the best copywriters. We just became, and we became, you know, like any good direct marketer, we became slaves to our numbers, uh, which is a great thing for me to say since I was an English major in college. <laughs> um, and, you know, really understanding um, everything that had to be, everything had to be measurable, everything had to be accountable. And I think that's helped us in in the present where even online, you know, we don't buy media that doesn't pay out. We don't, you know, we don't look at every potential uh, outlet without looking at some kind of return on investment or a lifetime value calculation, which is really how, you know, serial direct marketers work. And so that's like the quick, broad overview of where we were, where we've been. I will say that we've been involved in almost every medium Um, you know, we were mostly direct mail exclusively. We got into package inserts. We got into space advertising. We got into all kinds of other kinds of like, uh, uh, a bank and credit card inserts. And then, you know, when that internet thing caught on, we got into e-newsletters. Um, we kind of followed Agora publishing and their model, uh, for creating really great content with embedded advertising. Um, didn't do it as well as Bill Bonner did it, but we did it pretty well. Uh, and we still do it. And then we got into direct response TV and then we've tested everything else. We've tested radio and we've tested all kinds of weird space advertising and newsstand and, you know, some stuff hasn't worked. I mean, I always take abuse for the fact that I tested the back of ATM receipts once and I <laughs> tested, tested the top of yogurt lids once. And, but, it, but it always had to be, have, have, have a, a response device. It always had to have a return on investment. It always had to be direct marketing or else I wouldn't have tested it in the first place. I still took a lot of heat for all the stuff that didn't work. But I guess I, I guess you could safely say that I never met a medium I didn't like. Um, and I never met a medium that I wouldn't want to try if I thought that it had the ability to elicit a response with a return on investment. So that's what makes us, that's what makes, you know, direct marketing so wonderful. And then you can get in and out pretty quick. I like that. Uh, I like that mindset. I've never met a medium I didn't like, because I've discovered that. Uh, well, a lot of people just uh, lean way too far towards 
being over-reliant on just one media. And that that scares the hell out of me because the, 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 the handful of times I've done it in my own businesses, it has always, always come back to bite me in the butt. Something always happens with that one media that it either stops working or gets taken away. Yeah, well, look at, I mean, look at, you know, the way Google, you know, since Google owns the world, I mean, <laughs> getting shut down isn't, isn't, such, isn't so far-fetched. And it's happened to many, many people that we both know and love who are actually good marketers and by some ridiculous coincidences or circumstances got shut down. I, I actually, uh, you'll like this, I bought the URL. I own this, I own a URL and the URL is www.singlechannelmarketingissoboring.com. <laughs> and it actually redirects to my regular site, briankurtz.me. But I bought it because I could talk about it on interviews like this. Um, you know, so it was, I felt like it was worth 20 bucks so I could say I own it, even <laughs> if I didn't use it. And, and it's exactly what you just said, Dan. It's, you know, why, you know, why be, I mean, anybody who calls himself an internet marketer, it's like, why do yourself such a disservice and define yourself by a medium? Why not be a solution in multiple channels anywhere you can? And in fact, I'm blogging about this this week about, you know, it was like it's for entrepreneurs. It wasn't for marketers per se, but it was nine essential uh, nine, nine eternal truths that every entrepreneur needs to know about marketing. And one of them is this concept that, you know, to be reliant on one, on one medium is just crazy. And I will tell you that I'm, I'm obsessed. I'm, I'm, and, and it will be my second book. My first book is going to be um, a, a compilation of all my blogs, which I'm going to call um, uh, How Life Imitates Direct Marketing. But the second book is going to be called O to O to O, which is online to offline to online. And the concept there is, you know, it doesn't matter where your message starts in any medium, whether offline or online, you can always go, you can talk, you can, you know, talk, I guess toggle might be the word, you know, you can go back and forth. I mean, there might be some places where you can't go, you know, the 22 year old who's only going to be on a mobile phone. No, I'm not going to do direct mail to them, but there are so many avenues to use multi-channel marketing and I've just seen it. I've seen it, you know, I've seen the best marketers that I've ever um, see, you know, uh, be able to sell the most and, and do the most and make the most impact. It's because they understand that it's never about one medium. That's right. I, I've, I, sometimes I feel like I'm wasting my breath. I, I have friends and clients who just focus online and I have never seen an instance where somebody is, uh, where somebody has not been able to profit by adding offline to the mix. I mean, in fact, talk more about before the show. We we're specifically talking about sending direct mail to your list, even if they were acquired online sending back in promotions to them through direct mail. And yeah. you had some great info about that, if you wouldn't yeah. mind sharing. Yeah, I will. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm very enthusiastic about this because, in fact, I did an interview with Joe Polish, which is on my site at, at briankurtz.me, and, and the title of it was um, Everyone's Going Right, Time to Go Left. And it, I'm, not being, I'm, not, I'm not being unrealistic to say that doing lead generation via direct mail is probably not the way to go. It, it, it's just way too expensive. 
So email marketing is also not dead, but email marketing will kill your list if you pound it, you know, and pound it with a, with crappy email on a regular basis. But list building and lead generation via email is a fantastic way to go because it's inexpensive. And if you do it with integrity and you do it with clarity, you're going to have great success. But now that they're on my list via email and maybe they even buy a product from me and now I have their postal address because they had to give me a, they had to pay with a credit card. The idea that there might be an opportunity to, to, to sell them some backend product uh, via direct mail and actually, you know, the deep dark secret that some internet marketers have found is that creating physical product. <laughs> I don't know if you heard that. I was whispering it. No. You don't, don't want to say it too loud. But physical product, the the perceived value of, uh, uh, of 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 a DVD versus digital content in the right context and in the right offer and in the right medium could be so much more profitable. Even though you have to pay for the production, you have to pay for the shipping. I think that a lot of people shy away from it. I mean, it was funny. I was on a call the other day, and I'm talking about this concept with somebody. I look over at my bookshelf, and my whole bottom shelf are all DVDs from Brendan Burchard. Um, I have Experts Academy. I've got, I've got another one of his. Um, uh, forget the other one I have down there. I have, I have tons of his stuff. All DVDs and, and CDs. And I'm thinking to myself, the average person, if they ever heard of Brendan Burchard, they go, wow, that guy's the most amazing online marketer I ever met. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, do you know Brendan Burchard does postcard mailings to his list? Brendan Burchard uh, approached me. I, I, I love Brendan. I think he's one of the smartest guys on the planet. And he, he came up to me at, a, at an event once and he said, you know, I, I want to figure out some other ways to do some direct mail to my, to my list. Because there's people on that list that I, they, they all have a mailbox. You know, the, I always say that the 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 uh, the in the the least cluttered inbox is the one you grew up with. If you're old like me, <laughs> that's uh, right. Right. If you're in your twenties, I don't know if people, you know, twenty year olds even know there is a mailbox at the end of their driveway or down in the hallway of the apartment building. But um, the idea that if you have an incredible mess messaging going on in a mailbox that's less cluttered where response rates can be one, two, three, four, five, six percent, um, and it scales quickly, it's something that you gotta pay attention to. I, I, I was with somebody recently that does direct mail for a high-end event and told me that you know the difference between getting a point, if they go from a 0.6% to a 0.8, it's game-changing for their business because direct mail scales like that. Um, and and it and it's a high ticket product, and you can do that online as well. This is not, I'm not talking about replacement here. I'm talking about complementing what you do online with stuff that you can do offline. So I, these are the examples I'm going to be putting together in that book because I think there's going to be more and more examples of people going O to O to O. I'm seeing it already. I mean, in the B2B marketplace, you see a ton of it. You know, you go to Entrepreneur Magazine or Success Magazine. There's you know there's basically drive. Um, uh, you know, drive uh, to URLs um, from a space ad, and and that stuff is definitely um, working. And and I think also that you know it's funny this this uh, company that was doing direct mail very successfully to go from point six to point eight at a high end event. It was actually for high school students and their parents, and driving them from the direct mail piece to 
you know, a Pearl or to uh, their mobile phones, which is where they hang out all the time anyway, seems to be a pretty good thing to try. Even though like with my audience at bottom line, I have a very old audience. So the idea of them going from a direct mail piece to a URL is not as, as easy to do. Um, but I think, I think there's a lot of opportunity there. There's a lot of opportunity the other way, too. You know, again, doing direct mail to people who made their first purchase online. I, it's interesting to hear you say that. And it goes back to what you said. You've, you've never met a media that you don't like. To me, it just makes sense. Why restrict yourself to online when, you know, I've proven it time and time again. You are leaving a lot of money on the table if you're not taking advantage of the offline channel. I'm working on a book with some case studies that I, I think is just going to blow people's minds. People awesome. who have struggled online just, you know, for years trying to get a front end that breaks even. And when they incorporate offline, just things have exploded. Yeah, no, it's awesome. And again, I, I don't want to make it sound like um, everybody should do direct mail. You know, direct mail is the be all end all. But I got to tell you, it, it scales. It scales quickly. Um, the, the kind of modeling you can do is much more uh, sophisticated. Uh, it's just, you know, it, it should be part of the mix. And I think space advertising should be part of the mix. I think insert should be part of the mix. I think, um, you know, obviously, and then all the online channels have to be part of the mix, social and, and mobile. And, you know, it's not like I'm saying one, it's, it's, it's not an or, it's an and. That, that's really what we're trying to say here. Yeah, I think that's. I think maybe that's why people have misunderstood me. I, I've pointed out some of the negatives of certain things like email, um, just from uh, results from my own business uh, businesses, seeing uh, sales from email starting to take a dramatic downward turn st starting in '07. And so all of a sudden, people think I hate email. I've never said that. What I've said is, why not use a variety of media to not only spread out your risk, but, you know, quit stepping over dollars to pick up dimes. You know, now that I think about it, boardroom is the perfect uh, testimony to this multi-channel approach. I mean, you you guys are using multiple forms of uh, online media, off my, offline media, everything. You'd be a great case study for my book, Brian. <laughs> I think we will. I mean, you know what? I, I will tell you that we've, you know, because of the age of our audience, and, you know, this is, you know, total transparency here, we, we've not been as successful as I would have liked to have been so far online. We've been successful with our e-newsletters because that's just another vehicle that carries our really good content, and I use the Agora model. And certainly... You know, there's a big appetite for that, you know, for quick tips and that type of thing. So we're in a good position there. But as far as, you know, figuring out an e-commerce model from where we were and to be what I consider to be a state-of-the-art online marketer, I don't think we are yet. That's why I hang out, you know, in groups like you hang out in. You know, I'm trying to learn, you know, getting my PhD, as it were, in the online piece while sharing the eternal truths of not just offline, but just general direct response and direct marketing and measurability and lifetime value and, you know, creative and where that fits. 
So I bring all of what I've got to the table in exchange for learning more and more about this. So I think we will be a better case his- history as time goes on. I'm, I'm, uh, I will, you know, I just want to, I want to be clear that, you know, we haven't, we haven't nailed it, you know, completely either. Because uh, we came from the offline going online. I think it's easier to go the other way. You know, the people who are already online exclusively to try to figure out how to move to offline. And that's where I think I can play a big role in the world. I hope to anyway. I mean, that's kind of one of my goals. Oh, oh yeah, a, a huge role. Because your your background is is really interesting. And it's perfect for online marketing because how you initially started in direct marketing was... In the list business, correct? That's correct. I mean, I, I thought I was going to be the next great, you know, film critic. I was uh, the film critic for my school paper at, 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 in college. Um, I, I loved to write. I was an English major. Um, and it was either, you know, it was either I was going to be an English professor, I was going to be a film critic, or I was going to be a baseball umpire. <laughs> and, and I explored all three of those things as a senior in, in college. And... I decided to do none of the above, um, but went to New York and just said, okay, I'll get into a publishing company and I'll try to eventually use my writing talent and then see where it goes from there. So I did get a job at a publisher, my first job, not boardroom, and it had nothing to do with film. It had nothing to do with baseball. It had nothing to do with, uh, with uh, Charles Dickens either. Um, it had to do with um, you know play publishing uh, for theater. And then... A job opened up at this little company named Boardroom, and the job was in list management. Um, Boardroom, even back in 1981, was in a small group of publishers that did not give their mailing list to an outside list manager to manage for them, but rather they managed it in-house. So they had this in-house list management division, and basically when you're a newsletter, you know, you're not taking advertising, so the only way to reach that audience is through the mailing list. So the first job I had was basically... And I say selling the mailing list, but it's really renting. I, I, I think, I don't know if your folks, if they're young, they're not going to know what the rules might have been back then, and it still is, in direct response marketing for direct mail um, that lists are for one-time rental only. And so I was basically renting the boardroom list, which were affluent executives who, who subscribed to bottom boardroom reports and bottom line personal and our tax newsletter and our health newsletter. And I was basically selling, renting those lists to everybody. I mean, I was, you know, it was a great list. So I had clients like Consumer Reports and Money Magazine and every other newsletter publisher in the world and supplement companies and, and, and uh, uh, fundraisers, political fundraisers, charitable fundraisers. So I got to know everybody in the direct, res- direct mail space. And I think the best thing was that I started, I learned from the audience out as opposed to the product in. Most inventors, they develop a product and then they figure out who they're going to mail it to or who they're going to promote it to. I started from the list side, so I kind of really knew that anytime you were going to launch a product, you'd want to find out what we used to call the primary, secondary, and tertiary list universes for that product to try to see how deep you'll be able to go with a particular product and then, of course, you did surveys, what we call questionnaire tests or concept tests, to determine which products were going were gonna to resonate the best with your own list, and then also understand which outside list, that was the primary, secondary, tertiary, would resonate with that product as well. So I think 
it's 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 not unique. I mean, there are a lot of people that came out of the list business that became marketers, but most people who came out of the list business kind of stayed in sales. And I didn't dislike selling. I'm not a bad salesperson, um, but I, I I like the marketing side. I like the idea that now I knew everything about lists, and I really really became you know uh, Marty, my mentor, Marty Edelston, always said, you know, if you're gonna go, you only go through life once, you might as well be the world's best. And I really think, without bragging, I, I think I was the best list manager. I really was good. Competition wasn't all that stiff. I mean, most of the list managers weren't all that great. So I'm maybe not bragging too much. But I, I just love this idea of understanding the audience before I understood what product they might want. And, you know, because I think so many inventors and entrepreneurs fall in love with the product first. And I think it's a, not a mistake, but I think you have to look at both together. So that was my background. And I never turned back. I mean, I had opportunities after I came to boardroom to go over to the editorial side. And Marty, to his credit, said, Brian, I think you got a nose for this marketing thing. And I think you should stay there. And uh, I'm glad I did. And, and, and as I said, became a serial direct marketer um, that I became, you know, for 10 years, I probably, as I said, became one of the foremost list experts in the country and then I started getting educated because I was, I may be the smartest list guy, but I certainly wasn't the smartest direct marketer by a long shot. So then, as always, I, and I still do this to this day, I put myself in rooms where I'm never the smartest person. You know, I always just see that that's the expression. If you're in the, if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. I say <laughs> that, I say that all the time. Um, and so, you know, I made sure that I wasn't just going to stay in the list business because that was going to be boring. So um, to take my list, my list knowledge and then take it into the, to the marketing space was, you know, that was my trajectory into, into direct marketing and then not just direct mail, but then multimedia, including TV. We did huge numbers on infomercials on TV and then online, you know, doing a, a lot of online marketing, which I would say right now when I'm in a room of the best internet marketers, I'm probably the dumbest person in the room. And all I'm doing is being a sponge because I learned so much from them. I, I can't think of a better advantage to have than starting out like you did. Be, be, to start understanding the list business and then from there seeing who's renting the list, what products are selling to it, what, you know, which products are selling great, which, which offers are bombing, getting, getting inside the head of the customer and figuring out how the customer thinks. Oh yeah. You know, the, that's why my favorite book is, is Gene Schwartz breakthrough advertising because people think it's a copywriting book, but it's really a book. Um, I, I really think it's a book that is about human behavior. And I'm sure a lot of people on who are listening here, if they're followers of, of you have read breakthrough advertising, which we republished it now is a, it's a bottom line book, uh, because Gene was my hero. And uh, one of my heroes. And obviously, <laughs> I'm doing this event in September called the Titans of Direct Response. And if Gene was alive, you know he'd be speaking. Um, but Breakthrough Advertising, the book that exists today, not one word has changed since the original version from 1966. Now, you could say, oh, that book must be outdated. <laughs> Just the contrary. You know, on the contrary, it's, it's because the book is about human behavior and I always like to say, you know, human behavior hasn't changed since 1966, probably hasn't changed since the Paleozoic era, if there were humans then. Um, so I'm just, 
I'm just uh, obsessed with, you know, how what makes people tick. What and and I, I I study, I study the consultants and the writers that really understand this languaging, of, you know, making sure you're speaking in the language. One of my buddies, Michael Fishman, who's a guru in the health marketing space, but he also came out of the list business like I did. And Michael always talks about, you know, you want to talk to your customer like they're used to be talking, like, the, like how, they've, how they've been talked to. And that's why list segmentation, even online or offline, and not talking to the whole audience the same way, that's, that's game changing for people, no matter how big your list is. You know, you don't want to talk, you don't have the same messaging for people who are buyers of an information product versus people who came to a live event, for example. I, I, I don't want to go into all the different possible segmentations, but list segmentation and how it dictates the creative and copy that goes to the different segments is a science. And it's got some art in it also. And the best marketers know that. The best marketers know that one size doesn't fit all. And I always say to people that in direct mail, if I could have more than one control package to different audiences and how expensive that was, imagine what you should be able to do in email when it's so cheap, as long as you segment the list properly. That's a huge tip there. Now, for, for anybody listening to this, if Boardroom, one of the 800-pound gorillas of direct marketing, does that... Uh, it takes the time and, the, and invests the money to do list segmentation. So they're directing the right message and the right languaging to the certain segments of their list that will relate to that. Exactly. And the kitchen table entrepreneur who's blanket sending the same message to their whole list needs to wise up and, and adapt that yeah, I'll, I'll, give, I'll give you like the, the I had this discussion the other day with, with uh, Joe Polish and Dean Jackson. And we were talking about, I think Dean brought it up, you know, the idea that, okay, you have a list of buyers uh, and you have, let's say you have 15 different products and someone on your e-list buy, had bought three of the products and you decide to go out with a launch for one of your products. And one of them is uh, one of the three products that's, that some people have bought. To not omit the people that have already bought that product and substitute it with a product that they haven't bought yet or the next one in line that you think might be the one that they would want the most. We call that contact strategy in direct mail. It's a crime. And I will say that we're guilty of it. I, I, I can't get our IT people to, un, you know, to get this completely perfect where um, let's say I buy product A and now I get a blanket email for product A from the same mailer. Don't you think that I'm thinking to myself, well, they don't even know that I have product A and you don't even know the damage that you're doing to your list because of, because you're not going to probably get an unsubscribe out of that. You're probably not going to get a complaint out of that, but you've just basically said to the consumer that you don't respect them in some way, in some weird kind of way. And not only that, if you could figure out that they bought product A, but they'd be the best candidate for product B because they own product A. Make sure that you, you substitute out, even if the blanket email was a, for product A, this segment of the list who bought product A, get product B. I, I know it's what I, the way, and I just said that, and it sounds like I'm, I'm, I'm talking like an idiot. <laughs> people must be thinking, oh man, this guy is such a, you know, he's so stupid. Of course we're not going to, you know, we're going to send him the next product. Or, and people do that, and that's great. 
but there are a lot of people that don't do that. And, you know, when you're in the information marketing business and you've got real specialized products and you're moving people up an Ascension program from a $47 product to a 97 to 150 and you're doing a launch for the 47 make sure the ones who bought the 47 get the 97 It's just obvious. And I'm being very simplistic here just to prove the point, but I think you don't even know the damage you might do to your list by showing your ignorance as a marketer of what their, what their um, purchase history is. Now, in direct mail, this is a rule of thumb. Basically, you never, I mean, of course, things could slip through the cracks. We call it merge purge, where you take names out that have bought the product before, they're dupes, basically. You don't mail them again. I can't afford to mail them. I'm paying $600 a thousand in the mail. Why would I mail somebody who already bought the product? So what we call suppression files in direct mail are survival because mm-hmm. that's going to kill the response rate because they're not going to respond to the same offer. Plus, I'm going to be paying for that postage and printing. I, I have a blog post. I think it's on my site. Um, I did it for Copyblogger, which is a great uh, copywriting site, which I'm sure you subscribe to. And I did a blog post that said, you know, why paying postage made me a better marketer. And this is what it's about. Like, because I knew I had to pay postage and printing, I was going to be a lot more careful with what I put in the mail. And so why shouldn't you have that same care and concern with email, even though it's a lot cheaper? You know what I mean? Absolutely. The the philosophy of treating your customers like they're golden, regardless of how cheap the media is, is irrelevant to me. You know what I mean? That's right. That makes perfect sense. Did that make sense? Okay. I I, I don't know if I was being confusing there. No, not at all. I I got, you reminded me um, of an email I got once. We, I think we got the IT situation 90% there. But a while back, I didn't. I was using various online tools, um, you know, held together with duct tape and spit and bubble right, gum. Right. And Sounds like most of my fulfillment. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I sent, a, I sent an offer out for my, my paid newsletter, and a, and a lady hit reply. And, and she was genuinely, like, concerned and just simply didn't understand why in the world would she get this email when she had just subscribed right. to the newsletter last week. Right. And, of course, right. you know, the, uh, the customer service people forwarded to me. And I apologize. And, and I explained to her why. It was, it was IT issues. But you know what? That just didn't matter to her. Yeah. Let me take something a step further while we're on this subject. It's it's not a switching gears, but let's use that example. Now, the next step is to basically delight the customer when you get a complaint like that. And what I mean by that, that's the kind of customer, if it's a subscription, I mean, if it's thousands of dollar product, I'm not suggesting this, but what we would do in a situation like that is we might extend their subscription for six months for free, for bringing it to our attention, for being a great loyal customer for telling us about it. Now, you tell me, do you think that if I extend it, that person's subscription, which costs me, yeah, retail value would be 15 bucks or, or 20 bucks. Uh, cost in my pocket is four bucks. If I do that, don't you think I have a customer for life? Oh my gosh, not only do you have a customer for life, you have 
basically an unpaid salesperson working for you because now they're going to go tell all their friends. Right. You know why? Because sadly, almost nobody does that. No, you got to turn you got to turn the horse manure into into fertilizer. That's and, a great tip. Yeah, and and I'll, I'll take it a step further. Um, and I'm not, you know, it sounds like I'm lecturing and I really don't mean to be because, you know, it's like, do as I say, don't do as I do. I mean, I don't do everything perfectly by a long shot. I know what the right thing to do is though, cause I've been doing it for 33 years. So I've made every single mistake in the book. So, but I do know this surprising and delighting customers who are longtime customers, who are your best customers, who are even new customers who are clearly aligned with you. What you spend on them in calculating their lifetime value as opposed to looking short-term is just a horrible... If you look short-term, you're not in business for the long haul. And what I see a lot in the online world is you know, the 30 40 50% return rates on products, and then it all becomes about high-pressure selling to save them, as it were. And there's a whole other way to go about that. And I know some people do it well. I mean, I'm not saying that... Some people save them well, and then some people also romance those people well. You know, they turn, they turn you know, lemons into lemonade. Why did you return it? They start getting data, mm-hmm. you know, on why they returned it. And maybe, maybe they might, might just want to improve the product, so they might get the 50% return rate down to 40 or 30. Um, I've never had return rates like that in my history. You know, in, in the infomercial business, you know, you hear 20, 25, 30% return rates. And because of our guarantee, I mean, our, our product was a $39 book that we sold on TV. So the return rates are going to be generally lower. But everybody said these are going to be at least, you know, 10 to 15% on a credit card offer. And we got it down to like 5 or 6%. Wow. And, we did, and it, was, it was because of the quality of the content. I'm not going to lie. I mean, we gave them great health content. And we delivered on the promises we made on the show in what, what was in the book. But people who were dissatisfied, we got information about what they were dissatisfied about. I remember one person said the the um, the the fascination, the, the 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 bullet that we gave away on TV, the the answer in the book was so unsatisfying they were pissed off. And so in the next version of the show, we took out that fascination. Things like that. Um, you know, I think you wanna you I mean you don't wanna listen to to things that are focus group like because you know people go to focus group come more for the cookies than anything else <laughs> but but they may tell you a golden nugget about your product or something and you have to you have to listen for it um, there was one person I was talking to recently great example they did a mailing and it was a very high class first class direct mail campaign in an invitation style envelope and because I guess people saw it as maybe a possible scam because it was one of those you've been selected. Mm-hmm. And it really, you were sele- they were selected. It was, it, was, it was all legitimate. They got a lot of mail that said, you know what? I didn't know whether to sign up for this or not because I thought it was a scam. And so leave it to this great marketer to say, you know what? Now I'm going to take a look at this mailing piece and look at every single part of it. And what would make it so that it would look less like a scam to people who might think it is? And then get a hold of... Other packages, this is why swipe files are so important, get a hold of other packages that people put out an invitation to join a club, join an organization, join something that are scams, 
because you can get samples of copies of anything. Go to you know go to who's mailing what. You can get a you can get a sample mailing piece of anything that's ever mailed almost since the 1980s, and see what they did to be a scam, and then take your mailing piece and say, okay, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. And so what, what, what turned into maybe some anecdotal evidence of a few people complaining turned into a much more professional package that started getting rid of that complaint. Again, you can't deal with every single complaint that way, but that was one that resonated with this particular mailer. And as I was talking to them, I said, you know what, I think you're onto something because there's a history of those kinds of mailings being scams. You know, like the whole marquee's who's who. That's you know, right. You know that you end up paying, and what you know, you end up paying for a plaque, uh-huh. being, and, and and they make money on the plaque for being part of an organization that you don't even know ex- existed before you got the mailing piece, that kind of thing. So, I think that um, I got. I mean, I went off on a bit of a tangent there, but the customer service and delighting the customer all enters into how you market to them, what media you use, what medium you use, based on what they've done with you what the languaging is to that audience. And I guess we came full circle to the list because mm-hmm. now you have a list of people who returned. You have a list of people who complained. You have a list of people who brought to your attention something that looks stupid in your marketing. What are you going to do about it? Maybe nothing. You know, the old story is if you don't have any haters, you're probably not marketing aggressively enough, right? But listen to the haters. What, what are they hating? Is there a trend in the hatred? And is it something that could actually turn things around by a few percentage points that could change your business. So I, I went off on a bit of a tangent there, but I think it was all related to the list and how you treat people on your list and how you, and, and it was spurred on by your comment about that customer that, you know, was upset or, or, or brought to your attention, um, the quote unquote duplication or, and, and I like, I think using IT as, as an excuse is great. I, I like that one. <laughs> yeah, you just blame everything on IT. Well, you can because it really is always true because basically what it is is that you didn't do the legwork necessary to make sure that that didn't happen, right? <laughs> and me either. I mean, I'm guilty of the same thing. I mean, I'm not saying you, you Dan. I'm saying, you know, Brian. I, Brian's an idiot too. You know, Brian's done this all the time. But, you know, I just like, thank you, thank you, thank you for letting me know, Mr. Great Customer, and I'm going to extend your subscription. I'm going to send you a free book. I'm going to do something. You know, that there's a huge lesson in what you just said in that the, it's, it's the way you look at the world and the way you look at your business. Now, a manager would look at those things as logistical things and handle it uh, like a logistical issue, but yet you look at every aspect of your business through the eyes of a marketer. So now you've, you've just turned something that, you know, most people would think was a logistical issue. You've now turned that into multi-million dollar marketing intelligence. I think that's true. I think the only thing I would add to that is that I'm trying also really hard sometimes because we're not objective about our own products and we think that we're God's gift to whatever we're doing. Um, that it's the, you know, getting in the shoes of the customer as best you can. And what was that experience like? So it's the combination of the two, you hit it on the head, but I just want to make sure that we don't lose sight of the fact that, you know, we, we, I I use that example of the inventor that thinks they invented the best product, but I don't really care if there's an audience for it. I know it's the best product. Well, you know, you're not going to be able to pay the rent. Yeah, good luck with that. Yeah, good luck with that, right. So, 
it's it yeah it's like this 360 view and again i uh, look again i don't want to make it sound like i've done all these things perfectly not even close but i understand it at the deepest level and that when i find out about it because sometimes you never find out about it i mean you may never find out about it unless that customer spoke up right you wouldn't have known about it that's right right so consider it a gift a gift to your marketing department, a gift to your fulfillment department, a gift to your IT department. And if you think of that, I think of your customers as giving you gifts as opposed to you just selling them crap. I mean, am I allowed to use curse words on this? Please do. Um, If you didn't, I'd be disappointed. (laughs) The worst uh, presentation I've ever seen at at an internet conference was someone, the first slide was how to sell more shit to more people. You know what? I don't, and the guy had some good ideas. I got to tell you, he was a very good marketer. But you know what? I'm not starting on that premise. Are you kidding me? <laughs> if you start on that premise, where are you going to go? Yeah, selling shit. <laughs> yeah, you're going to like sell shit eventually, right? It, it, it reveals maybe some kind of subconscious uh, way of how he thinks about his products. Yes, yes. And, and it was interesting because it was, there was a disconnect in this because this particular guy. Um, had a really good blog. He created a lot of good content. I think his product was pretty good, actually. Um, but I don't think you start there. You know, it's all about benefits. It's all about you, the customer. It's And even though that's not how he's selling, of course, to talk to other marketers about it that way. I mean, I get uncomfortable when yeah. I say, I want to sell more stuff. I want to sell more stuff. And I always catch myself because that's what I want to do. I'm not a nonprofit. Believe me, I want to make a profit. I want to make a lot of money for my company and for myself, but I want to do it with a spirit, you know, a spirit of, of mission, a spirit of, of caring. Um, but I, you know, people in, in my company have called me, you know, Oh, Brian, you're just the marketing whore of the company. So here I am sounding to your audience. Like I'm Mr. Principal, right? <laughs> I'm, I'm Mr. Principal profit. And you know, my edit, my editors think I'm, I'm a whore, but I, I know down deep, you know, what I really want to do. But I'm also not going to be shy about the fact that we're here to sell. So there's that, there's the, it's a bit of a dichotomy. In fact, that when I blogged to these entrepreneurs who weren't marketing experts, one of the lines I said to them is that I think it's, irre- I use the word irresponsible. It's irresponsible for you not to market as hard as you can within the limits of your own sensibility and your own parameters if you have a mission and a message to get out to the world and you're going to sit there and complain that I'm not getting, not enough people are buying my product, not enough people are, are, are responding to my mission and you're afraid to put yourself on the line. You're afraid to market aggressively. And for every person, that line is different. I got that. But I, I don't, I won't listen to excuses, especially from like gurus who talk about mission-based marketing. I know a lot of mission-based entrepreneurs who market really aggressively and make a lot of outrageous claims. They can back up every one of those outrageous claims, but they, they, they sell hard. And you know what? When you make outrageous claims that you can back up, you're going to get more haters. You know this about copy. That's true. The more aggressive the copy, the more haters. Now the question is, what are you going to do with the haters on that? And that, in that situation, if you know you're delivering on the back end on your promise, then I'm not saying screw the haters. You try to figure out what you can do with them. You save who you can. But again, if you don't have haters, then you're probably not marketing aggressively enough. So there's a line. Everybody's got a different line. I got that. And I'm really not trying to 
tell people to, you know, market the hell out of everything. But I just see too many situations where people complaining about their mission not getting out to as many people as it should. And then I look at their marketing and it's as bland as, you know, it's, it's, it's vanilla. It's with, you know, C copywriters. It's, they, they're, they're not putting their heart and soul in their marketing, yet their heart and soul is in their mission. That's crazy. There's a, there's a disconnect there. Totally. So it's great when it's in sync, though, man. I, that's when I get so excited. When I see, like, the best mission and the best copy and the best offer all combined, I get goosebumps. Speaking of the best copy... Boardroom is famous for that. Can we talk about copy for a, a few yeah, minutes? Yeah, yeah. I'm, and I'm not a copywriter. I wish I was. Um, what a talent to have. Not, well, so congratulations well, to you. Thank, well, thank <laughs> you. You know what? Uh, I really appreciate you saying that. Coming from you, that really means a lot. No, thank you. I know, how, I know how hard it is. You know, I was writing um, the promotion for this event that I mentioned, this Titans event. And I was the best person to write the promotion. It was from my heart. It's an event that I've wanted to do forever. Um, and I wrote copy for it. It was five or six pages. And it was prose. It was poetry. It was beautiful. Was it good sales copy? No. And I sent it to one of my buddies, um, who you probably heard of, David Deutsch, uh, one of the best copywriters in the world. And David, you know, in his own inimitable way, because uh, he's got this subtle, wry sense of humor, <laughs> he said, Brian, if I was going to go talk to a list expert about database and list selection, I would call you. Now, now you're writing copy? <laughs> so, you know, it's like hint, hint, hint. You know, basically, <laughs> Brian, your copy sucks. And so then he says, um, it was a Sunday, he goes, Brian, here's an idea. Why don't you go enjoy your family on this Sunday afternoon and think about a copywriter that might take what you've got here and... He didn't say make it sing, but he just sort of, he left the thing, he was a little more subtle, like he left it blank, but he left it for me to figure out that I better go get a professional to do this. And what was beautiful about it is that when I gave it to the professional, who was Roy Fur, what he did was he, he had my voice, because I gave him five pages of copy, but it wasn't enough. It needed, you know, and, and, and I got compliments on the letter because they said, wow, did you write this yourself, Brian? It's really in your voice. I said... No, it started in my voice, and then I had to give it to somebody who knew what they were doing. Um, and so, so that's a big lesson right there. If you're an entrepreneur, and you have a brand, and you have a, a, an image and something you want to get out there, being able to find a copywriter who can write in your voice could be totally game-changing for your business and your life, especially if you don't want to sit and write all day. Now, some entrepreneurs want to do the writing, and, and some of them are quite good. You know, They end up writing great email and great copy. But I really um, think that there are some things that should be done by professionals. And I blogged on this as well, that when it comes to copywriting, trying to do one-stop shopping and going to an agency to do my list selection, to do my SEO, to do my Facebook, to do my copy, big mistake. Um, this is, I, I really, I, I'm a big proponent of a la carte shopping when it comes to specializations, mm -hmm. which makes perfect sense. And copywriting above all, because the difference between an A writer and a B writer is the difference between success and failure sometimes, many times. And in our case, because we're selling a $39 product to a broad consumer audience, 
sight unseen, unknown brand, B riders just never get controls for us, ever. Uh, or very rarely. Or the B riders who are coached by an A, maybe. But that's why, um, you know, not investing in creative and copy is one of the biggest mistakes I see time and time again now in the online world. Because look, email is so cheap. I can just put anything out there. I'll get something back. Um, but you don't even know the damage that you're doing with bad copy, weak copy, um, irrelevant copy, copy in the wrong language for the list, all of that. And the best copywriters are going to sit with you, just like I gave Roy Fur five pages that were poured out of my heart. My best copywriters are going to sit with the editors. They're going to sit with the everything that we've written previously. They're going to sit with all the packages that have worked and all the packages that haven't worked for that product. You know, the idea of creating a project start memo for a copywriter is so critical to give them everything that they need to put in their arsenal, in their quiver, as I used to call it, you know, mm -hmm. arrows in the quiver. What am I going to put in there so now I can start shooting bullseyes, to, to take the metaphor just one step further, and I can't do that without the research. And one of the examples that I've been giving a lot lately, because at my event, we're going to talk about our infomercial business, and one of the best copywriters in the world, Arthur Johnson, were, was actually in those infomercials. And when Arthur came on screen, and Arthur's a direct response copywriter, and par excellence, I mean, anybody on this call who hasn't heard of Arthur Johnson hasn't studied enough copy. Um, and so Arthur Johnson was on air with Hugh Downs doing this infomercial for us. And under Arthur's name, when he came on screen, we wrote, um, we wrote, uh, health editor and writer. Now, I wasn't going to say direct response copywriter. I could have. And I wasn't lying when I said health writer and editor. And you know something? Arthur Johnson is a health writer and editor, and that's what makes him a better, better be, the copywriter that he is. Because if he didn't study everything that he writes about, and then he got sick himself, and he had more information in his own files on how to deal with his own illness than some of the doctors he went to. Wow. And I say the same thing. Paris Lampropoulos, also speaking at my event, one of the best copywriters in the world, when I was, uh, I, I think I shared this on a recent podcast also, um, I was full transparency, I was diagnosed with prostate cancer in 2008. Stage two, I'm fine now. Everybody doesn't have to cry for me. No, not looking for any, any charity. I'm, I'm healed. But one of the first calls I made after I, you know, cried to my wife a little bit, it was to Paris Lampropoulos. Why? I knew Paris Lampropoulos had written packages on prostate health and prostate cancer for a variety of mailers, and I knew Paris had immersed himself in all the, especially the alternative um, uh, remedies, which I wanted to know about, because at stage two, it wasn't clear that I really needed to do surgery, which I ended up doing anyway, but I was able to research everything so isn't that interesting? Like my first, he wasn't my first call. The urologist was the first because he's the one that told me I had cancer. But I talked to Paris before I talked to a surgeon. That's thought, interesting. Isn't that, isn't that interesting? And that's a, that's a, that's the truth. I, I, and you know, Paris is no doctor, and I don't recommend anybody using Paris and Propolis as their doctor. Believe me. But I, I, I always tell that story because, and I tell the story about Arthur as a health writer and editor, and you, I'm really talking about what? Why are these guys A plus copywriters? And I think that's a really good way to show everybody why.
You know, that is a great way to show everybody why and to also and hopefully people understand the depth of research that they go into to write these pieces. You know what's funny? A few years ago when I found out I had thyroid cancer, you you know who my first call uh, was David Deutsch. Isn't that interesting? You, you and know, I same boat. Because I knew I didn't think David had done as much on 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 prostate as pro- Paris did, but you knew David knew something about it. Oh, I well, I just understand. Listen, first of all, anybody who gets hired by boardroom to write copy is is the best in the world, and I understand the ungodly amount of research that they have to do to get a boardroom control. So, you know, I knew I knew David, uh, he and I had been friendly for several years prior to that, but of course I knew he, he'd written a bunch of controls for boardroom. So he was, I didn't go to doctors, I went, I went yeah. to David to find the right, inf- you know, to point me in the right He's direction. He's on, I, I, I use this term, I love this term, I, I, I developed, I, I have the Mount Rushmore of boardroom copywriters, so like the top four. And, um, so I had the top four from the past, you know, pre 1995. And those four were Gene Schwartz, Gary Bensavenga, Jim Rutz and Mel Martin. And a lot of people might not have heard of Mel Martin, but he was our inside secret weapon. And then the Mount Rushmore since 1995 are Paris David Deutsch, Arthur Johnson, and Eric Betchel. And lo and behold, the four of them are going to speak at my event as the Mount Rushmore. And the reason, and, and they're responsible for 628 million pieces of direct mail. And believe me, I'm not putting direct mail out there that doesn't that loses money. It That's eventually, incredible. Right? 628 million pieces of direct mail. Those four guys responsible for since 1995. And then after the four of them are done, Gary Bensavenga is speaking. So, wow. and I'm trying to get Jim Rutz, who on my. Uh, the other guys on my first Mount Rushmore are, 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 have passed away, Gene Schwartz and, um, and Mel Martin. Um, but I'm trying to get Jim Rutz to come and be in the audience as well. So I might end up with my Mount Rushmore plus my, my, my current Mount Rushmore and the two that are alive from my original Mount Rushmore. And they didn't get there. They didn't get etched up there because they were lazy, because they didn't immerse themselves in everything that they did. And they are responsible for hundreds of millions of profitable direct mail. I want to ask you this because a lot of my listeners are copywriters. And if I don't ask you this, they're going to berate me for not. Okay. So I know what all the copywriters are thinking. How does someone get to the point or, or what does someone do to become a copywriter for boardroom? It's, it's a good question. I mean, you know, every time I speak at AWAI, of course, they, they ask that question. And I think, you know, there is a little chicken in the egg, you know, or catch 22 more. It's like, where's your, where's your control? Well, I need a control from you to be able to show, you know, I, you know, where are your controls? Where, what have you done? I think, I think one of the, for me, there are a couple of things. I mean, if they, if they've got a track record, that's going to help, obviously. If they've done mailings, you know, if they've done, control packages for other people, I'm going to look at it, uh, look at them before other people. But I also think there's this also sense that there's this voracious appetite. Like, you know, I, 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 there, there's writers that write to me all the time. I really would love to write for you. And I said, oh, okay. Um, I'm, I'm wondering, um, you know, what writers have you followed that have written for us that makes you think that? 
they didn't know any. <laughs> and so it's almost like, okay, I'm going to give you like a really low bar for, first of all, it's like, have you studied our stuff? Have you been, and I think people on your, on your list would have. So then they're going to pass that bar. They're going to say, yeah, you know, I saw Paris's package for tax hotline from such and such. And I saw, you know, Jim Rutz's Magalog for bottom line personal in 1990. So that's going to get my attention. I will tell you, even if they're just name dropping, that'll get my attention. But then we might start talking about the approach that each of those writers did in those packages and why they resonated with the writer. So I want, I, they'd have to show me that they're a total student and that they've actually paid some dues, you know, and it's not because I'm elitist either. It's just that I can't waste money. I can't waste time. I'm really not being elitist, though, because I know and I've tried. I have taken some writers off the street that I really like some of their samples, and I like the way they thought. And I got to tell you, there are very few writers outside of the four that I mentioned that are a current Mount Rushmore. There's a few others that have controls, but very few. And, you know, then there was, you know, we've had good luck with Jim Punkery, and we've had good luck with Clayton Makepeace, and we've had good luck with uh, some other writer, uh, Richard Armstrong. So there are writers who've had controls, Marcella Allison. There's a few, you know, really, uh, Kim Krause. There's, there's, there's writers that, you know, and I, I know I just forgot somebody and they're going to yell at me. Because <laughs> um, it's not just the four of those guys. But it took a long time. You know, uh, Marcella Allison is a great example. And uh, maybe people on your list don't even know who she is. Do you know that she worked as a copy cub under Paris, Limpropolis, and David Deutsch for like five or six years? I did not know that. Oh, man. She just, she was like, and... And, you know, Paris has a whole group of copy cubs that he, he, he works with and teaches. Don't you think I'm going to give somebody like that a, 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 a crack way before someone who writes me an email and says, I love boardroom stuff. I really admire what you do, Brian. I really think I could write a control for you. Well, all right. Why? <laughs> so I don't know if I answered the question as easily, you know, but it's, there's no one thing, Dan. It's, 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 a, it's a variety of things. Um, but... You know, if you're not hungry, and to be hungry means you got to, I mean, look, I am not a copywriter. And the reason why is that I wasn't going to work that hard. I worked hard at other things. I mean, it's not that I'm lazy as, 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 a, as a worker, but that copywriting is hard work. You know, it's Extremely. not just like, yeah, you're not pushing an easy button here, you know? And when we're talking about boardroom copy, which, you know, in our little world of copywriters, we talk, we use that term, boardroom copy. It's, your copy has a style to it, has a flow, has a, um, it's, it's, it's its own unique Yeah, it's such thing. a narrative, yeah. I will tell you this, and I won't, I won't mention names on this. There are A-plus copywriters that we want to assign a project to. And they look who has the control, and they look at it, and they decline the project. <laughs> I can't That's say I blame them. Yes. Now, that doesn't mean that I don't try to talk them into it, because I wouldn't have asked them if I didn't think they could beat it. But that's the bar that we've set, that A-pluses don't want to go against other A-pluses, because I just don't think I can beat that. That's right. And then, of course, I give them a hard time and say, look, don't you do this for a living? <laughs> you know, I'm the idiot marketer. I need copywriters to, you know, but, the, but it's because they're so hungry. And they understand opportunity costs. That any writer that would take on any project, I don't have a lot of respect for either. Because whatever time you take to take a project on, it's opportunity cost against another project. 
if you're a great writer, you're not writing packages in a week. You That's know, right. right? It's going to take you a month. So anybody who's telling me, oh, you know, I have three packages this month, but I can get you in in the fourth week. I'm like, now, I don't want to say that they can't do that, but I'm a little suspicious now. You have to admit that's a, that's a red flag. That's a red flag to me. So I gave you a reason of people I might not hire, um, I, as opposed to answer the question of who I would. I, I'm, not a, I'm not a bad guy. I mean, I'm not, a, I'm not a dismissive guy, and I'm sure there are people on this call that have probably sent me copy, and I've dismissed them. And so uh, it's not, but I don't, I, I really do have a pretty good gut for whether they can, they can win or not. And I could be, could have been wrong. There's a lot of people that I probably said, no, thank you. That could have had a control and I'll never know. I, I, I'm willing to, I'm willing to live with that. I, I, I'm not perfect by any means. I, I don't want anybody on this call to think that, you know, just cause I have this reputation of, you know, being part of a company that, you know, is world-class copy and that we're state of the art and this or that. There are a lot of warts, both in, you know, peel the curtain. It's like, what, what's the expression? You know, never compare like your front stage to someone's backstage, you know, or their front stage to your, everybody's got a backstage, right? That's true. You know, how do they make the sausage? It looks good on the plate. <laughs> Go back in the kitchen. And you know what? There's a lot of, a lot of warts in both, you know, what boardroom's done, what Brian has done. But you know what? I learn from everything and I, I share everything, you know, and I want to share everything. That's like my, that's my game for the next 33 years after the first 33. You know, that's a great message because now see this, what you just said takes away all the excuses I constantly hear from people about they're getting ready to get ready to get ready to do something but they won't let the curtain go up on their show because everything's not perfect or they're afraid they're going to make mistakes. Now, yeah. you just admitted that everything isn't perfect at boardroom. You just admitted there's mistakes made at boardroom, but yet here's this $150 million company. Well, not yeah. anymore. It well, was. It was. We're well, close to that. But 100, 100 plus, a huge, huge ass company. If listen, if boardroom makes mistakes, but but yet it's been able to grow this big, what's stopping the little kitchen table entrepreneur from getting started? Yeah, and you know what? It goes back to a direct marketing principle: is no one tests enough, and that eighty percent. What do they say? You know, uh, done is sometimes better than perfect. That's and right. So, you know, and and Dan Sullivan, the great coach for entrepreneurs, talks about the eighty percent principle. You know, get it out there. You got eighty percent of it done. Get it out there. Not that you want to be sloppy. But if it's, you know, I, I remember hearing a story once of somebody who had a six module course they were going to sell online and it was taking them forever and they got four done and they got stuck. And then they were sitting in a room and someone said, you know, I don't know, it's not, it's not, four out of six is not 80%. I don't think. No, it's not. Um, but someone said, you know, 80%, you know, uh, done is better than perfect. 80% to see what you got. At that meeting, this guy decided that the, the course just became a four module course, not a six and figured <laughs> out how to take the fourth module and put the conclusion in it. And then he went out and launched within weeks as opposed to keep lamenting about I, it's a six module course. Cause I decided it was a six module course. You know, you fall in love with the idea and, and the premise, but you, the execution, you know, you start flailing on the execution because you, you made up rules that aren't things you can keep. That's a great, that's a great analogy for that. Um, wow. <laughs> well, you just took away everybody's excuses. You know what? I just, 
I totally lost track of time. I looked at the clock, and I know you got another call coming up. I just want to, I I want to mention, you know, mo- a lot of people know I'm kind of a hermit the past few years. Not much gets me out of the house, but I'm signed up to go to your Titans of Direct Response event in uh, in in Connecticut, uh, September 11th and 12th, right? Correct. And uh, it was simply a can't an I just thought I would regret for the rest of my life if I missed this. I even was telling you before the show, I even canceled a family trip. I know. You you, you were like figuring out how you're going to stay the, the favorite uncle. <laughs> yeah, I, I figured out how to do it, but it took some doing. I, I just couldn't miss it. Would you mind telling – this is just the event of the decade. Would you mind telling people how they can get info yeah, about it? Yeah, and I don't want to be like a heavy pitch here. You and I talked about this, and it's, you know, I, I was so flattered to be on your show, and I didn't want to turn this into a sales pitch, but because the timing is that is such that you know, the promotion is out, titansofdirectresponse.com. Um, go to that site. Everything is there. But basically, Marty Edelston, who founded Boardroom, passed away last October, and he and I had done a lot of educational type events in the past, mostly of the one-day workshop variety. And we always said to each other, especially after Gene Schwartz died, that we should teach this stuff to a new generation of marketers. And, you know, we we're always too busy running the company to do that. And um, what ended up after he died, um, and of course, it became a perfect storm after he passed away, which on the one hand, it's sad that it happened because because he died. But on the other hand, I think that was the inspiration to, to really do it finally, because Marty has been smiling on me every day. I came up with this idea. Um, and so it started with a letter I got from Dan Kennedy, a one page letter in a fact in a, uh, in a federal express envelope. Cause you know, he either faxes or FedExes. He doesn't call <laughs> or email. And he basically was just waxing poetic about Marty and Marty as a, as a, as a direct marketing legend, as an entrepreneur, somebody he really admired. And then I sent Dan, you know, excerpts from my eulogy of Marty and what made him extraordinary. And all of this is in the, in the sales letter at titansofdirectresponse.com. But um, I went back to Dan and I said, Dan, let's, let's do an event. You know, let's bring the people together to kind of teach the eternal truths and see how the past can, can help the present and the future. And one thing led to another. And every person I asked to speak said yes. I mean, it went from... You know, my, my Mount Rushmore of copywriters that I mentioned, all four of them said yes. And then Gary Bensavenga chimed in and said, I'm coming out of retirement of speaking to speak. You know, after the Bensavenga 100, he swore that he would never speak again. And because of his relationship with me and with Marty and with Boardroom, he wants to do this and he wants to create some new content for it. Then I've got Ken McCarthy, who's one of the real pioneers of the Internet and had a system seminar and a guy that has been followed by a lot of copywriters and direct marketers. Um, and that's just day one, me and Dan, wow. Mount Rushmore of copywriters, Gary Bensavenga, Ken McCarthy. Then day two, I'm going to start with me and Perry Marshall. Uh, Perry, maybe not as old as some of the other guys, but Perry is, uh, just an incredible resource. I mean, if you think Perry Marshall is just the Google ads guy, you're crazy. Um, he studied talk about someone who studied the masters and studied every great direct male copywriter. Perry Marshall has done that. And then from Perry, we're going to go to Jay Abraham, who was one of my mentors, I think one of the most fertile minds in direct marketing ever. And I'm going to do an interview with Jay for an hour. Then I'm going to do an interview with Joe Sugarman for an hour, um, Mr. Blue Blocker Sunglasses and um, 
everybody knows the legend of Joe Sugarman and JSNA products and um, basically an agency in one brain, as I call it. <laughs> and then uh, he's the only, he, he violates my rule of a la carte price uh, of shopping because there was a time you could go to Joe Sugarman and get everything. Product development, copy, <laughs> everything. Then I'm going to go to um, broadcast. And that's when we got Greg Renker of Guffy Renker. Uh, that was because of Dan. And Greg Renker doesn't speak at other people's conferences. He he saw what was going on here. He said, yeah, I'll come out. And that's when we're going to talk about multi-channel marketing. If you think Guthy Renker is just direct response TV, you're also crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, what they've done with their brands to take them into all different media from TV is just phenomenal stories. He's coming with his director of his like senior VP, Seth Radwell, who is a really smart direct marketing guy who I've known for years. So then after that, I've got Fred Katona, because Dan said, let's make sure we get someone who can cover direct response radio. And then you got Fred Katona. And then to round out day two, um, I'm going to have my personal mastermind. I guess you people know that Joe Polish has a group called the 25K group. People pay $25,000 to be in his mastermind. I have the $25 group. I'm in Joe's group. But I have the $25 group, which is my three titans locally who I mastermind with monthly. Um, and that would be Michael Fishman, who I mentioned before, Jim Quick, who's a uh, memory expert, learning expert, who speaks to CEOs all over the world, uh, who's done online launches. But he's just a titan of, 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 of everything that I need in my life. And Ryan Lee, who's actually an internet marketer by trade, but... He's the one that the internet marketers look up to as the guy with the integrity and the guy with you know the smarts. That That's they, right. And he's a young guy to have a lot of people call him a mentor. So those three guys are my $25 group. And then we're going to do a, a roundtable at the end of the day to talk about masterminding and accountability. And we'll get into some marketing issues and maybe summarize a lot of the stuff that took place the two days. And then whoever's still left of my speakers, I may bring them up on stage and do some last Q&As and all that. But... That's basically the event. There's a VIP that has a third day with David Deutsch and I uh, doing um, hot seats from 8 a.m. to 6 p.m., but unfortunately, that's already sold out. Um, uh, yeah, unfortunately, I found that out yesterday. <laughs> yeah, so it's a, there is a waiting list, so people can get on a waiting list for that. Uh, and that includes a boardroom-style dinner, which is something Marty, and Marty, perfect, Marty invented and we perfected, and we're going to do a salon-style dinner as part of the VIP that also includes that din- that um, all day Saturday with me and David, and then um, there's also a tour of the boardroom offices. Uh, so I did it quickly. That's the event, TitansofDirectResponse.com. Um, even if you don't want to come to the event, I encourage you to opt into my list at BrianKurtz.me. Um, by the way, I think single channel marketing is so boring. dot com now redirects to briankurtz.me. <laughs> so if you really want to type all of that in, you can get to my site that way too. I, and, and you should opt into my list. I, I blog weekly on, on all kinds of stuff about the history of working with all these writers. And, and you know, I'm not really selling anything except the event at this point. Um, it's not really a list that I'm going to do affiliates with or anything like that. It's an educational type thing. But, you know, I think you should really try to get to the event. But if you can, I'd love to have you... Anybody from Dan's tribe I'd love to have in my tribe. So feel free to opt into my list, even if you're not going to come to the event. Well, I've been going to events since the mid-90s, uh, never in my life. Uh, you know, and I've, I'm still kicking myself for missing Gary Benzavanga's event, but never in my life have I seen this, this kind of event, the caliber of people 
all at one event like this. This is a can't miss event. So, and by the way, I, I love your blog and your emails. I'm a subscriber oh, thank you. to that. So. Thank you. Yeah, I love doing it. In fact, I, I won't have time to get it out today. I'll get it out tomorrow. But the one I have for tomorrow is um, um, called Graduating Last at Harvard Medical School. <laughs> can't wait to can't wait to read it. Yeah, that, it'll, it'll if anybody's fun. listening, that's at Brian Kurtz dot me. Correct. And uh, the event you can get information at Titans of Direct Response. And I, man, I could talk for hours, but you got to go. I just want to thank you so much for your time, Brian. This has been awesome. Oh, it's been great for me too, Dan. Thank you for making the time for me and. Uh, uh, I know, well, we haven't really met in person before. We've been kind of admirers of each other from afar. So now I get to hug you in September. So that's cool. I'm looking forward to that. Me too. Thanks again, Brian. Okay, you're welcome. Thanks for tuning in. You were just listening to the Doberman Dan Show for Renegade Entrepreneurs. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review on iTunes. And also make sure to head over to DobermanDan.com and subscribe to all the free tools, tactics, and secrets to help build your business quickly so you can experience the Renegade Entrepreneur lifestyle. Stay tuned for upcoming episodes where our guests reveal their best secrets for financial independence and living a completely free lifestyle.